and all the chapel services and the speakers, and I know not all the speakers um, have, speak to something that is of interest to you or from a background that may interest you or a cause or a purpose that you've been very respectful and reverent. I want to thank you for the respect you've shown. And didn't Dr. Josie Owens do a wonderful job on Wednesday when she was here? What a wonderful word she brought to us. Yes. Um, but those who are clapping don't think I'm going to give you potato chips because I didn't, I didn't bring those. Last time I spoke, I spoke uh, on the life of David, but not the big moment of when he defeated Goliath, but the chapter previous to that where the Lord was preparing him for things that were much greater than he ever imagined. And we talked about how that's the way the Lord often works. It's in these little everyday decisions we make that most shape and form us. It is the way we treat the individual right next to us that helps prepare us for the way we care for our neighbor on the other side of the world. If we can't love those who are closest to us, why do we think we are going to be able to love those in another part of the world? It's the little things that we do that God uses to shape and form us. And so in the last few weeks, I've been thinking about preaching from the book of Daniel, where we are going to turn today in Daniel chapter 3, and you may know it as... The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as I say the name Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how many of you automatically click into Sunday school mode and not only see the flannel graph with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego on the board, but then start singing the song in your head? Does anyone remember the children's song? Was that like only in the 70s when I was a child? Nurse Patsy Malice also remembers the song. Thank you, Patsy, for your support and affirmation with that loud amen in the back. Um, I have begged her to please require knuckle punch only on campus. She refuses to do it. Uh, Nurse, I'm telling you, I think that's the safest way to go, but she just keeps shooting me down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, chapter 3. I'm going to start in the middle of the chapter at verse 13, but give a little uh, little preface beforehand. Nebuchadnezzar uh, was a smart man. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel were, were captives, really. They were brought from another land, and uh, um, he actually starts by taking away their name. A person's name is powerful and important, and he begins to belittle them and even dehumanize them because he takes away their name. So we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when their names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So he takes away their name. And, and, and Nebuchadnezzar also knows that if you want people to follow you and if you want control, you need to include something spiritual. You need to include something religious because that connects with everyone because everybody is searching for God. I personally believe that everybody is searching for Christ. They just, not everyone realizes it. Nebuchadnezzar seems to understand that because he really has political motivations and he wants everyone to serve and follow him. So he... He, he builds this statue, uh, 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide, and he wants people to bow down and, and worship it. And it's really not about the statue as much as it's more about him wanting control, but he knows, let me just put something a little spiritual in it to make it think it's of a God, and people will follow. And in the first part of the chapter, we see all these religious, not just these religious leaders, we see these, these judges and magistrates, and he has all the leaders of the community come down and bow to this this golden image. But there are three, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I'm going to use their real names, except when we read the text, and and, and, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is using their names as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're going to start with verse 13. And Nebuchadnezzar has just been told by some uh, some people, you know, there are these three, they're not not bowing down to worship these Jews. They're not bowing down to worship. And 
And so now he confronts them. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zyre, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If the God we serve is able to deliver us, then he will deliver us from the blazing furnace and from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with him, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie them up and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these three men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent that the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took them up and tried to throw them into the fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, Your Majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So they came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and loyal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their ropes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut to pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted them in the province of Babylon. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your word has been spoken. Now let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. As you read the story, I know you were thinking not just the children's song. There was another song going through your mind. I know it too. I know it well. You know it well, even though it came out before you were born. It was by Russ Taff. I know you're all big Russ Taff fans, 1980s Christian contemporary artist. Right? Not going to bow. I know it. Right? How many of you are thinking that? Look at the hands. Look around. All the hands. Look at them. There's just one. I'll take it. Some, of, uh, some others in the room don't want to admit that they actually had the medals album by Russ Taft, so they're keeping their hands down. Russ Taft, it was a great, it was a great song. I, think, I, I, think, I just feel the Lord tell me we should play some of it today because I believe it's just going to so inspire you. Uh, that it's going to take your spiritual walk to a much deeper level. We did have a picture of Russ Taff available, so you can see how cool this guy... Now, how cool is that? How cool... Exactly, yes. Now, uh, in the first verse of this song, he basically exegetes this passage beautifully, like a Hebrew scholar. Uh, He then moves into a modern-day illustration. I think we have the CD ready. Let's see. 
And, uh, oh, total ace right there. chaplain I understand that and you just uh, you can't keep up there's there's a commercial for a show I don't know there's some new show out I don't know the name it's like something about a family and they're interviewing the dad I was talking to a professor about it this week and the, the dad of this teenage girl says I'm, I'm a really cool dad I know I know all the words to high school musical you know my kids just think I'm cool and and then they show the scene where the dad is actually acting out uh, the songs high school musical and his daughter of course is mortified on the floor because their dad is such a loser well uh, <laughs> I'm kind of that dad, I think, actually. So uh, I've never seen High School Musical. I'm sorry, Micah. But uh, I... Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I uh, I've never seen High School Musical. Uh, but I have seen Hannah Montana, the movie. Uh, I'm not going to... That's what happens when you have an eight-year-old daughter. So I was... I was thinking that's where we're going to go. Hey, listen, don't bow to the pressure, man. Don't, don't bow to, to the pressure that people put on you. And you shouldn't. Russ Taff, as cool as he was, he had it right. And, but I started to think, you know, as I started to look over this passage, you know, a question came to mind is, I wonder if at times, uh, I wonder if at times, ENC is like Nebuchadnezzar. Or maybe the church today. Maybe, maybe at times we're like Nebuchadnezzar because, you know, uh, we don't say you have to bow. There's no idols around campus, but you know you do have to. We do require you to be a chapel on Wednesday and Friday. I mean, maybe I don't know. Maybe we're maybe we're being a little bit like Nebuchadnezzar. Um, we have these rules and this life covenant that we expect you to 
to follow and we ask you to commit to. We've kept it no secret before you come. And I think, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe we've, maybe we've been a little bit like, maybe, maybe Nebuchadnezzar. Verses 13 to 20, excuse me, 13 to 15, uh, Nebuchadnezzar gives him another chance. He says, now listen, I've, I've heard that, uh, that you don't want to bow. I've heard that you don't want to worship when I order you to worship. Now I'm going to give you another chance. Uh, will you bow down and worship? And, and I know from now on, every time you read this, this text, you're going to think of Russ Taff, and I guess praise God for that or something, I don't know, but... <laughs> But really, the, the crux of this passage is in verses 16 to 18. He, he gives them another chance, and, and I know I've already read it, but I just want to read these verse, two verses again, three verses. They replied to the king, we, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If the God we serve is able to deliver us, then he will deliver us from the blazing furnace and from your majesty's hand. Now listen here. Here's what they say. We believe our God will deliver us, is what they're saying. We are going to put our faith in him, He will deliver us from the furnace, but even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, we will not bow. But even if he doesn't, but even if not, most translations say, but even if not, even if you don't deliver us, even if our God does not deliver us, we will will not bow. We want you to know. This passage points out across the ages to, to Christ. It really, in many ways, prophesies about Christ's coming and his ministry. You will remember at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the devil takes him to a high mountain. He says, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world if you just bow. If you just worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world. And he says, get behind me, Satan. My Father will deliver you. And though Jesus knows the cross is before him, he still says... My Father will deliver me, but if not, I will still serve and I will never bow. We see that at the beginning of his earthly ministry. Then let's go to the end of, the, the end of his earthly ministry. And he, he remains silent, silent against his accusers, against, against Herod and others. They say, aren't you going to defend yourself? Don't you have anything to say? And he said, my Father could send 12,000 angels if I asked. But even if he didn't, I will not bow. But even if he didn't, I will still serve and follow. It is at the beginning and at the end and all through Christ's ministry, he is faithful in following his Lord and going to the cross, trusting that God will deliver him. But even if he doesn't, I mentioned earlier in the message that names are powerful and when you take away a person's name you begin to belittle them and dehumanize them and I think sometimes when there are situations whether it's uh, in different training exercises or different, um, uh, maybe sometimes in the military they, they take away the name and refer to you as, as something small don't even use your name because that begins to break you down so Hananiah, Michelle and Azariah you would think they'd start to get broken down But because Christ was faithful to the cross, because he trusted in his Lord and still went to the cross, even if he doesn't, I will be faithful and follow. We have the blessing of now taking upon ourselves Christ's name. 
For if you are a Christian, that means you are taking upon yourself the name of Christ. And you are a servant and and follower of Christ. So we must act and live and serve and follow the same way that Christ would. Being willing to make sacrifices, being willing to serve others, being willing to give our lives, trusting that God will deliver us, but even if He doesn't, we will still follow. Many of you may be praying right now in these days while here at school, Oh Lord, uh, send me a mate. I know that you can, I know that you will, but if not, will you still follow? Lord, there is sickness and disease in my family, and I know you are a God that can heal. I read it and have seen it in your word. I've, I've heard testimonies even among friends in my churches that you can heal my family member. I, I know you can, Lord, but can you say, but if not, I will still serve and follow you. Lord, I know you want me to live a certain way here on this campus. I know you want me to live a certain way in my home among family members and coworkers. I know you can give me the strength. I know you can give me the wisdom and discipline. I know you can give me the courage. Please do so. And I know that, that, that my reputation can be protected by you. I know that by you, Lord, people don't have to speak about me. But if not, I will still serve and follow you. We here at ENC are a Christian campus. is a community for over 100 years. We too have taken the name of Christ upon us. And we are a Christian community. And in being a Christian community, we are not trying to tell you or force you how to worship. but we have requirements upon us to live as Christians. The styles of song and worship will be different. The speakers will come from different backgrounds and different experiences, and, and, and we want to hear their stories and testimonies. And yesterday, as I was meeting with Mike Kennedy, we were talking about how can we hear more of your stories, because your stories are just as powerful as anyone that we bring into here. from. We want to hear your stories and what God is, is doing in your life. But being a Christian community, we are required and charged by God to, to glorify Him. So for over a hundred years, this community has stopped in the middle of the week to do one thing, and that is worship together. We don't do it trying to force you into anything or bow to anyone. We do it because that is our way of glorifying God. He has given us the blessing of of being able to earn an education. He's given us the blessing of a job. He's given us so many blessings. And again, I've said it over and over again, on a global scale, this is a, I mean, people around the world don't get the opportunities that you have right now to earn an education, and you do have to earn it. That's worthy, God is worthy of praise for that. And so as a community, we believe we must stop and worship. It's not requiring you to, to bow down and be like us. And I just want to let you know, if you ever come forward to this altar to pray, to kneel here and pray. You are not joining the Nazarene church. You are not joining anything. You're just saying, the Lord and I have business to attend to. And I want to go before the Lord. I want to pray for a friend or a family member. I, as cool as I am, and I, I know, I know, I know. I'm struggling because 
I don't want to be legalistic. I don't want to be that guy. I don't think we want to be that school. God's grace is so amazing, you haven't even begun. You haven't even, you haven't even started to understand how great and deep His grace and love is for you. I mean, it is lifelong. We'll never be able to comprehend it. But I'm struggling because I get angry. I, uh, I don't think I have anger issues. Some here today may think I do. But I get angry when I... And I confess it, it's a sin. When I have a person, a student in my office talking to me, struggling with an issue, whether that be alcohol or um, whether that be drugs or whether that be pornography. And I know we talk about it all the time and you're going to hear me talk about it a lot more, I know, I'm sorry, but that's just the world we live in. I get angry not at them for seeking help and coming before us, becoming before me and praying together and knowing that it's a safe place in the same way you can go to your professor for any of those issues I've mentioned or any others and it'd be a safe place for you for help. My anger and frustration comes when the greatest struggles and temptations for them come when they go back to the dorm. And there are things that have destroyed their lives and their families' lives and they've come here for a season in the hopes that they can still get an education while battling hell itself. And yet walk into their dorms in this community and be tempted with these, and I will say it, evils. Because it's killing us. We're not Nebuchadnezzar. We're Christians. And being a Christian, we're called to make sacrifices. We're called to think of the other before we think of ourselves. We're called to make sacrifices for the person in the room next to us, as well as we're called to make sacrifices for the person on the other end of the world. If we can't care for the person that's in our dorm, if we can't make sacrifices for those closest to us, why do we fool ourselves thinking that we can care for those on the other part of the world? I think we use great global examples just to get out of holding ourselves accountable on smaller levels. But if not, I'll be faithful, Lord. I will serve and follow you faithfully. And if I'm ridiculed or put down or even because I choose to uh, practice Christian practices that I believe are holy and true and just and I I know people will respect me, Lord, and and give me the respect I deserve, especially on this campus, Lord, but if not, will you still serve and follow him? Will you still be faithful? We all come from different backgrounds and different homes, and I try to connect. I know I look at uh, the Christian uh, churches some of you are part of, or if you have, some don't have any uh, religious background at all, and we're constantly trying, well, how can we connect them into the religious journey, not to make a Nazarene, but just to, to help you in your Christian journey. And uh, I'm having lunch uh, in a few days with Father Tom at St. Anne's because we have uh, just a, a growing great number of uh, Catholic students, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think maybe if I don't know how to help you, well, let me bring Father Tom, and he's a block away. Two blocks, three blocks away. We want to help you, and we want, we want to journey with you. And, and I, don't, I need to confess, we don't always, I don't always, I don't always know the best way to do that. 
I thought for sure in the last two or three weeks as I kept thinking about this passage, I think over and over again I was going to focus on, but if not. But I want to conclude today not with, but if not, but the next five words. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know. What do you want people to know about the God you serve? What do you want people to know about the God you serve? Is it a cause that you get behind? Is it a, it is a lifestyle you lead? Is it a, I mean, what do you want people to know? And if you want people to know that about your God, will you be faithful in living it out? Will you understand that the decisions you make affect someone else? And so, if those are positive decisions, that affects someone positively. And even if you go through the fire, God will be with you. Nebuchadnezzar says, look, I I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Why don't we just change it? I think I can take the liberty. When you go through the fire, when you go through the furnace, for whatever reason, whether it's health or social situations or family situations, the Son of God will be with you. Because Christ, throughout all his earthly ministry, says, my Father can say, but if not, I will not bow. And because Christ went to the cross and God raised him from the dead, we can take upon us the name of Christ. And that is something that can never be taken away can never be taken away. And I love, I was reading the stories of all the martyrs that have given their life for the Lord and thought about sharing some of them and maybe you're familiar with some of them. And some beautiful testimonies and beautiful statements and I can't even fathom having a faith that, that is so deep. But sometimes I think it's more challenging for us to be faithful in the everyday situation. Sometimes I think we might almost wish, well, God, why can't you just let me give my life for you? Just put me on a firing line and I'll give this great testimony. Just let me end this. Most of us will never have to put our life, our faith on any firing line, but there are people around the world that are doing it. And God can save them and God can deliver them, but sometimes, at least from our vantage point, God does not. But because Christ went to the cross and because God raised him again on the third day, they are guaranteed victory. They are guaranteed victory. Two weeks ago, my children's great-grandmother passed away. She was 90 years old, lived a long life. Um, It was a joyous time because she did not uh, die suddenly, but in the years up until her death, it was like we lost her a little bit at a time. She was very close to my wife. and my, my children just adored and loved their hazy. They called her hazy. And it's really interesting having conversations with a four-year-old about death. And an eight-year-old. And yesterday I'm driving in my car and Logan is just hooked on this. He just he, he can't get away from it. He's like, so hazy's with Jesus, right? I said, yeah, that question I could answer. I said, hazy's with Jesus. He says, now, now, so Jesus is really, 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 and then he's four, keep in mind, so. Really, 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 really high in the sky. I 
I mean, you know, I didn't know how to answer that. I'm like, I wonder what the religion department, what is the correct theological answer to this, to this four-year-old? Uh, I said, Logan, I just know Hazy's with Jesus right now. But if not, for those who actually have to physically give their lives for their Lord, I'll tell you what I told Logan. They're with Jesus now. And the reward is theirs. What do you want people to say about your God? I'd encourage you to live the way your God has called you to live. And people will see the Son of God in your life. Will you please stand? Heavenly Father, we again, we've been here now four or five weeks. Uh, we thank you uh, for the privilege it has been to be a part of this community. Um, we know that many of us have friends that wanted to be here, and for financial reasons, they could not be here. We trusted, Lord, that you could provide, but it appears as if you did not. And we don't understand all of that and question some of that. But may all of our faiths be strengthened during this time to truly trust in you. I know that many of us today, just in these last four or five weeks, have lost loved ones. And over the summer have lost loved ones. We know you could have healed them, Lord. But for some reason, you did not. At least not in the way we had hoped and prayed for. We thank you for those family members and those loved ones. And maybe the way we say it to child is the best way to say it. We know they are now with Jesus. I know in a room this size, Lord, there are broken hearts and broken relationships and broken friendships. We are certain that there are family situations that bring heartache and pain. I know that some are battling hell itself, whether that be through addictions or battles or struggles or self-esteem, whatever it may be, Lord. We give them all to you now. We pray that you heal them and touch them and strengthen them. And may we be a community that lives as you have lived, caring for the one who is right on this campus, caring for those who are in our dorms, caring for those, loving those, serving those, in the same way you loved, cared, served, and died for us. Make us more like Christ, we pray. Continually prepare, shape us, and mold us to care for the least of these, to care for our family members, to care for our friends. May we live our lives in a way that proclaims who this God is we serve. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for his name upon us. We thank you that that can never be taken away. We pray these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.